get going. Um, uh, the title of my message tonight is A Past That's Paid For. So what, what I want to talk to you all about is um, how do we let our past keep us humble rather than imprisoned? And there's a balance there because, um, yes, we forget what's behind, we strain for what's ahead, but we can't completely detach ourselves from it because then we get this um, level of arrogance like we've earned where we're at and it, and it totally ruins any kind of ministry that you have. I don't know who it was in the back that gave the word about the ministry of reconciliation. Casey, I, I didn't recognize your voice, but it's a good word. That's that's a foundational scripture you heard from the Lord. Mike, your your prophecy was right on too, and, and Joel, everything. I was just like, wow, did you see the notes? <laughs> the Lord does that, and it's awesome. It's encouraging when he does that. But um, when we get to that place where we're detached from our past, uh, I don't know about y'all, but I, I like to forget who I used to be. I don't like much to be reminded of it. I don't like to look at it. I don't want to remember it. Um, there was an old song, John Mayer song, and it said, um, he said, I can't wait to find out what's wrong with me so I can say that's the way I used to be. It's like, man, that's, I know that's secular, but that hits me because that's right. I want to identify the problem and then move far away from it. And then say, okay, that's somebody else. The blood of Jesus is covering this, and now I'm a new creation in Christ. And all that's true, but we can run so far away from that that we get uh, to where we forget where we came from. And we look down on those that are still in that position, or in a worse position, or in a different position. And so we've got to learn that balance. That's what I want to talk to you all about tonight. Um, all this started about a week ago. It was my daughter's birthday, and we decided we were going to pull out the old home movies. And uh, technology has improved so much. When Natalie's only 11 years old, but when we had her, we had a Hi8 um, camcorder with the little tapes that you'd have to transfer to the VHS. Do y'all know what a VHS is? Guys, <laughs> the old tapes that you, you have to rewind. My kids don't know what rewind is now. I'm like, wow. Okay, so we had one of those. So we had to take out all the cords and hook up that to the TV and rewind the little high eight tape and it's fuzzy and all that and we're trying to watch all these home movies and we thought it would be fun to watch the day she's born. So if I was going to take one day out of my life since I've been in Jesus, um, note to self, I probably wouldn't have chosen this one again because we're talking about a week out from her birth so sleep deprivation has completely kicked in at this point. Uh, postpartum depression completely kicked in. It's not my best day which is not an excuse for the behavior demonstrated on this videotape, but uh, I certainly wouldn't have taken out that sample to remind myself of who I used to be. So Matt and I are sitting there, and the girls are all sitting there, and they're all excited. Look how now, look how cute she is. And Eric and Jen were there, and, you know, it's just neat seeing all the old faces and all that. And um, the girls are enjoying it. Everything's going great. And Matt and I are cringing. I mean, just cringing. I'm bossing him around like, just the rudest woman in the world and, and emotional and all over the place. And he's just kind of taking it and we're just looking at each other. He's biting his lip. He's angry with that wife, even though I'm not that wife anymore. I'm like, what's <laughs> just, it was so awful. At one point I was like, okay, time for bed. Let's go. Everybody, you know, everybody upstairs. And so we shoot them all upstairs with brushing teeth. Matt comes downstairs and I'm like, I'm burning that tape. And he says, no, you're not burning that tape. That's a testimony. I said, no, no, no. We can talk the testimony. Nobody needs to have actual physical evidence of this. This is going to end up like on YouTube. Or like, oh, look at this sermon illustration of where I come from. You don't want to encapsulate. No, we're not doing it. I'm burning. Okay. 
I'll take it to Sam's, I'll transfer it to digital form, and then I'll delete the parts, all that yucky stuff, and just have Natalie's birth, and it'll be, it'll be awesome. We'll just do that. He's like, no, no, this is a testimony. And it, so the next day, I come, I come into school that morning. It was a Tuesday night. I come into school the next day, and Jen's just got that radar on her. She looks at me, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing, I'm fine. No, something's all over you. We're going to talk later. Gosh, how did she do that? And so I'm like, I just, you know, we did something stupid last night. We watched home movies, and I'm all embarrassed, and I'm just, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. And um, I think later that night, we both had a children's church in the back, and I'm sitting across the table from her, and I just start crying, and I tell her, thank you for putting up with me. Because, really, Eric and Jen are the main instruments that God has used since I've been born again to transform my life. Now, we all have a past before Jesus, and all of it's yucky, and we don't have to go into the details of all the yuckiness because we were all yucky, all in different ways, some in similar ways. That's yucky. And so Jesus changes our life in that instant, and that's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. But the moment you get born again, it's not perfect. You're still filled with a lot of that junk. And so you think, okay, I should know better because I, I'm learning God's Word, and there's great mercy there. But why does it have to take so long? Because I'm looking at this video, and it's 11 years ago. I'm thinking, God, I feel like there's still so much of that junk in me. And, and yes, there's been progress, but God, over 11 years, I would think I, there'd be much more than there is now. And when I look at Jen, I'm thinking, you're the main instrument that Jesus used to get a lot of this out of me. You loving me through that just selfishness and self-centered and awkward just the way I would speak to people. I mean, some of y'all knew me back then. Um, God bless you for putting up with me because it was a lot, you know. And I loved the Lord and I had a sincere heart towards Him, but I was not um, very useful for His kingdom. I just wasn't, you know. He was doing a transformation in me, but it took a long time. And some of y'all get born again and get on fire and there is a maturing process, but God, for me, it just seemed to go at a snail's pace. And so I was just dwelling on that over a few days and I just the, the realization of God's mercy towards me hit me and I was asking him why why would you spend so much time and so much effort and commit people to love me and to put up with me and commit certain situations to draw these things out of me so slowly Lord God is so painful I mean, my transformation has been slow and painful. Lord, why would you even bother to take the time with me? And he spoke to me very clearly, and he said, because I expect a return on my investment. Amen. And so this, this transformation that takes place in me is not for me. Yes, I feel better about myself. I can look at that and I go, that's the way I used to be. Praise God. And I'm still working on a lot of that, but I, at least I'm not that bad. But there's a scripture that says when we compare ourselves against ourselves, it's unwise. You know, we can't just compare. I've got to compare myself against the standard of the word. I've got a long way to go. You know, but, but there is growth there. There is progress, and I'm proud of that, and I'm, I'm glad to be standing here before you, being able to share this with you. Um, he expects a return on his investment. He expects something out of me. It's not just for me, right? It's for it's for the benefit of someone else. It's so that I can look at someone who's coming from a similar background. I was talking with a guy at the um, Stevens house on Christmas Eve, and on the surface, I would have nothing in common with him. He's probably 20 years older than me. His background's very different from mine, 
But there was a commonality there because I was able to look at him and I could say, hey, look, I tried NA, I tried these things, and the only thing that got me clean was the blood of Jesus. And NA is just a support system. And I was able to have a conversation with him. It's like, Lord, how could you use me to talk to this man? But he did. And so that's a good thing, right? He's pouring into me and he's taking the time to do this because maybe that one statement coupled with David ministering to him all evening is what that man needed to get him through the next day. So we need to be available for those things. Okay, so um, the trouble with this, though, is some of us, I'm going to, I need this, I'm not going to mess this up, right? Okay. Um, The trouble with remembering too much of our past is that we can get trapped by that, right? We can become imprisoned. We can feel so bad about who we were that we're paralyzed with fear. We're paralyzed with guilt. We're paralyzed with shame about this. Um, A long time ago, I read a book by Rick Joyner, and it was a prophecy that our vision he had had over a series of days, months, I don't know. It was an amazing vision. Um, I was young in the Lord, so I didn't understand most of it. But one thing really stuck with me is that he saw this, the, uh, a vision of the battleground, the spiritual battle that's going on. And he could see the enemy and the enemy's tactics. And one of them was like this bird, and I forget what the bird represented, but the bird would fly over the Lord's troops and would drop snakes. And the snakes were shame. And what the snakes would do is, is to the troops that couldn't shake it off, they'd wrap around their ankles. They'd wrap around the troops' ankles so they couldn't, they couldn't move. And they were just immobilized from shame. And they didn't realize that the blood of Jesus had set them free from that. That they didn't have to stand for that. That they could crush that snake's head. But they would stand there and they would take it. And so guilt very often is paired with shame, right? Um, In Job, he talks about Job 10.15. You don't have to turn there. I'll I'll read it to you. He says, um, if I'm guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. And that's a perfect picture of what shame is. Your head is bowed, you're drowned, you're overwhelmed by your guilt. But guilt is only something you feel when your debt hasn't been paid, right? Guilt is just the feeling of an unpaid debt to God. So how can you stand born again one day and not feel bad for the things the sins committed the day before, the lifetime before? Because the blood of Jesus has paid that debt for you. Right? Yeah, We've all experienced yeah. that. Yeah. You've all experienced that feeling where you feel that set free. I don't, I don't owe that. Yes, that is who I was, but I don't, I don't feel attached to it. Well, shame is more like a sly way for guilt to creep in on us. You know, it kind of sneaks in. It worms its way in, and it wraps around our ankles, and it tells us that we're still that person. We still have those tendencies. Yeah, the Lord may have delivered you, but you still act like that, and people still remember what you used to act like. And all of it's lies, because the Word of God says that we're a new creation. And that's how He sees us. And so it doesn't really matter if other people remember how you used to be. Is that how you are today? Because if you're not that way today, then let's move forward on that. If, if you're still that way, then yeah, you need to fix it. But let's fix it, and then let's move on. Okay? Um, let's turn to Second Corinthians. Chapter 7. So how can guilt and shame actually be good? If we have a past that's paid for, guilt and shame actually do us a service at a certain point.
Okay, so have y'all heard of godly sorrow, worldly sorrow, the difference? Yeah. Yeah. We talk about this a lot at the altar, ministering to people. The difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation tells you that you're no good and you never will be good. Conviction says that wasn't good, that action wasn't good, and you can do better. There's a difference. Condemnation is about you. It's an attack on you, who you are, what you can, what you cannot do. And that's not ever from God. Because God sees all the potential in us. Why would he take the time that he does with us if he didn't see that potential? Okay? Conviction says your action in this moment does not define you, but I'm not pleased with it. Do better next time. And then he gives you the opportunity to put you in that situation again so you can get it right. Praise God for those things. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. This is Paul, and he's writing his second letter to the Corinthian church, and he was pretty harsh with them in the previous one, so this is what he's talking about. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Amen. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Okay, so this is where shame is good for us. Shame propels us to repentance, right? It's that godly sorrow. You should feel shame, shameful about shameful acts. We should. We should not participate in things of the world. We should not participate in those things. Okay, so it's going to propel us to a place where we need to repent. We need to get it right with Jesus. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So when salvation is applied to us, that's Jesus' blood applied to us, the debt is no longer owed. Guilt and shame leave right then. Amen. Okay? And it says that leaves no regret. That doesn't mean, I think a better way to say that, if I can correct the English translation, I think what Paul means is it doesn't leave you in the state of regret. Of course you regret the sin that you committed. Nobody wants to say, oh, I'm glad I did those things. No, we regret that we were ever displeasing to God. But I'm not going to live in that state. I'm not going to live in a state that says I was a foul-mouthed, terrible person. <laughs> um, I was unlikable. You know, I was unfriendly. I was selfish. I was desperate for a husband. I was desperate for a man to love me. And I did all kind of crazy things. I was desperate to escape responsibility. So I did even more crazy things. But I'm not going to live, I'm not going to be defined by that. I'm going to move past that. I regret all of that, but I'm not going to live that. That's not who I am today. Amen. That doesn't define me. But I am going to remember where I came from so that when I look at a person in a similar situation, or maybe not so similar, just in the previous Jesus state, I, I can have compassion on them. I can have mercy on them. I'm not so detached that I, could, that I look down upon them. Let's turn to uh, Job 11. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, um, Job's friends didn't have the best advice, but I thought that this was pretty good. As you, wherever you find truth, recognize it, right? <laughs> okay. So, uh, eleven thirteen. This is where shame propels us to repentance. And then what happens with that shame? 
Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters go gone by. And I love that imagery. I love that. Have y'all ever st stood on the bank of a river or a bayou or a creek or something and thrown something into the water and watched it kind of trickle away? Yes. Yeah, it existed. Whatever it was, it existed. But it's as water's gone by, and it's a faint memory. It's a faint recollection. It's not something that covers you now. I love that imagery. Life will be brighter than the noonday, and darkness will become like morning. Now this, for women, right here, insecurities, right? Verse 18, you will be secure because there is a hope. I don't have to be insecure about who I was. We let that past define us so much sometimes that we become insecure about who we have standing before us right now. And that's denying the work of Jesus. He has done an amazing work in me. And that is not me. I was talking with Teresa about this the other night. This is not me. The good things that y'all see in me, I'm not taking credit for not one bit. I'm telling you, that is the work of Jesus. That is the work of diligent men and women of God who poured into my life who were the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't take any credit for that. But you know what? I'm going to glory in it because it is amazing what God has done in me. Amen. If you knew who Amen. I was, if you knew who I was last week, you'd say it's amazing. You see me changing every day. That's the work of God. Amen. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest and safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid, and many will court your favor. I love that. I claim those promises. Those things are good. That belongs to us. Uh, let's go over to Zephaniah. It's in the Minor Prophets. Three. This is another scripture that I love. And one of um, our worship, our favorite worship leaders that we listen to, Jess Canalone, he's a worship leader for the Messianic Church in Jerusalem, wrote a song based on this scripture. It's so awesome. It just moves me. Verse 14 says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. No guilt. I don't owe a debt anymore. No guilt. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. There's no accuser that stands before me. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. That doesn't seem like he's looking upon you, painted by the, the actions of the past. He's taking delight in me. As terrible and as disgusting and as filthy as I used to be, he takes delight in me. Yes, he does. And he takes delight in you doesn't matter what your deeds were. He takes delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Man, have you ever been quieted by the Lord's love? Sometimes in worship, I just feel it wash over me, and it's like, I don't want to sing. I don't want to move. I just want to stay right there, just to be quieted by someone who loves you so much. Amen. 
he will rejoice over you with singing. I tell my girls that at night when I, when I put them to bed and they're fearful of the sounds in the night or bad dreams. I say, the Lord sings over you while, while you're sleeping. He takes delight in you. I can tell my daughters that because they're precious to me and I can see how the Lord feels about them. But sometimes when I stand in the mirror, I have a hard time seeing how the Lord feels that way about me. But he does. He does. Okay, we're going to take a little aside here for a minute. I want to tell you all about the moon. Where's all my olive shoots? <laughs> We've been talking about the moon. Gabe could get up here and tell all about the moon phases. I could sing that song. Play this ridiculous song going through the phases of the moon. It's this little rap, and my junior class loves it, but the, the big kids are, like, too cool for it. It's just, like, it's too cool. <laughs> but the little kids are, are bouncing when we play. We've had a fun time with that unit. But one thing we were studying about the moon that kind of perplexed us all was, like, okay, what is the deal with this? Okay, the moon orbits, right? The moon rotates on its own, but it also revolves around the Earth, Okay. Well, the speed at which it turns is locked with the speed at which it revolves. And what that means is that one side of the moon always faces the earth. You never see the back side of the moon. It, it always faces the earth. And scientists call this a tidal lock. Do you have that, that picture, John? Okay, so the moon on the right, that's the one that we see every night, right? The one on the left, that's the back side. We don't recognize that. You can leave that up for a while. Um, so we're, we're talking about this, and they're asking me, well, why? I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's got to be something there, though. Every time we talk about some kind of awesome discovery, awesome um, thing that we, talk, that we discover in astronomy class, I'm thinking spiritual. Because God's work testifies of him, right? There's gospel in it somewhere, and I'm going to find it. So I sent them home with the assignment. Okay. Y'all find me some scriptures on stars. We're going to figure out what this means, right? So they all come back because we're talking about heavenly bodies and why does, why does God put emphasis on this? What, what is all this about? So they come back and we have this great discussion and we never kind of figure it out. But we're all pretty intrigued by it. It's amazing that it spins just, if it's spun five miles an hour faster, we would see eventually over 50 years or so, we'd see the other side. It doesn't. It's perfectly locked. So we always see this. So the one thing I told them, I said, there's a scripture somewhere that talks about the moon being a faithful witness at night. It's got to have something to do with that. I mean, there's got to be something, you know. So school breaks, but this thing is still stirring in me, and I've got to figure it out. So I'll start studying a little bit. Um, Psalm 89, if, y'all, if you want to write that down, is where that he talks about it being a faithful witness. But let's turn to Genesis 1. Okay, so we're in um, day four. This is, uh, let's start in verse 16, okay? So this is when he sets lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night. So verse 16 said, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw it was good. Okay, so there's three purposes of the sun and the moon according to Genesis. To give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, 
and to separate light from darkness. Okay, so the, the purpose of the moon, let's just talk about the moon. The moon, and, the moon and the stars, they invade the darkness, right? There's going to be darkness at night, but the moon and the stars invade that with the light, and they're testifying of the sun. The moon doesn't generate its own light. It only reflects what the sun gives it. Okay? The stars are a reflection of what, of what the sun is doing. It's the same kind of systems going on. So I started thinking about this. And in Psalm 136, it says the moons and the stars govern the night. So that's the function. So symbolically, just follow me here for a second. I'm not going to advocate moon worship or anything like that, but follow me with this for, for a minute. Okay, so let's just say that the sun is the source, right? The light doesn't come from the moon. The light comes from the sun. So if the sun represented the Father, then the moon would represent Jesus, right? Let's just, let's just say because the moon stands there and it only reflects what the Father does. It only says what the Father says. It only does the will of the Father. It does not glorify itself. It glorifies the Father, okay? So the moon is reflecting the light from the sun. So in this example, the sun is the Father and Jesus would be the moon. Okay, and so what are the stars? That would be us, right? Um, we are witnesses in the dark, just like that. We're helping Jesus in, in this example. Okay? Don't go out and worship the moon. But um, we're helping to pierce that darkness. We're helping to break forth and to shine a light. And it's kind of, I look at it like this. If we looked at it in the ages of the earth, before Adam and Eve, daytime existed, right? The sun was dominant. So let's say there was day. And then sin came into the world, and so darkness entered. And so now we're existing in this age, we're in a period of night. And so what is witnessing, what is testifying that another time is coming? The moon. The moon shines at night. The stars shine at night. And they're testifying that have hope because the sun is coming again. The day is coming again. We're going to cycle around to this. So let's turn to Philippians 2.14 because this scripture was just awesome. <coughs> Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life. Okay, so let's back up. Okay, the same that we shine like stars in the universe, right? The crooked and the depraved generation, that's the nighttime. We're shining like stars in the nighttime. So how do we do this? Everything, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you, become, you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Okay? Were we blameless when he bought us? No, but that doesn't define us now. And it cannot define us now or else we do not shine like stars as we hold out hope. We're holding out the word of life. That's the hope, right? The hope is that he delivered me so he can deliver you. But if I stay in the position of, well, this is who I used to be, and, and, and it's so terrible, and I, I cannot pick up my head, and I'm so covered in shame, and I cannot move, how, who am I to minister to anybody after what all that I've done, or all that I've thought, or all that i said to someone, or all that I imagined? Who am I? No, we, we cannot stay in that position. It says that we have to be blameless, blameless and pure. So how do we get blameless and pure? That shame propels us to repentance. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're striving 
for perfection, but when you get it wrong, you feel that shame and it propels you into his presence, to repentance. And then the blood is applied, and in the math equation right then, the guilt and the shame are taken away because the debt's been paid. He canceled your debt. He X'd it out. So there is no guilt or shame because there is no debt owed. The only debt owed is the debt of love, and so that's the ministry that we have. Amen. Right? It's to go out and hold out the word of life, which is the hope of our transformation and the hope of their transformation. Hallelujah. And you cannot do that when you're standing back in that position of shame and guilt. Amen. So back to the moon for a second, because this was good. Why doesn't it turn? This is just a little aside. Does anybody have King James Version in here? You do? Will you turn to James 1.17 for me? So I wanted to know why we only see that face of the moon. And in this example, I felt like the Lord was showing me, okay, Jesus is that faithful witness during the night, holding out the hope that the day is coming, that the Lord's going to restore all things, that night will no longer be here, and it'll be day. We won't have a need for the sun and the moon anymore, right? Because we don't have the need for the, the witness at night anymore. When Jesus, when the Lord sets up his kingdom on earth, when everything is set up, we don't have a need for that witness anymore. The day of salvation is closed, and now we have the Lord as our light. So in this example, Jesus is the moon. Why do we only see this face? Will you read 117 for us? There's no shadow of turning in him. Amen. There's no shadow of turning in him. And this is not Jesus. I'm not going to worship the moon tonight. But his creation testifies of the gospel. Amen. And he's faithful. He's not turning. And I want to show you all something else. Look at the one on the left. Do you see how it's all scarred up? you know why the moon is all scarred up on one side and not the other? Because his face is ever on us. And he took our stripes. The craters hit that side of the moon. And it doesn't turn. He takes it all to protect us, and his face is on us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, I'm, don't worship the moon now. Don't okay? It's a full moon tonight, I think, too. But it's just a beautiful testimony. His, his story is in every part of creation. You open up any science book, you turn on the science channel, all I see is his creation pouring forth speech. Are you sharing with, that with me earlier? Yes, his creation pours forth speech. Okay, so how do we hold out hope? How do we hold out this hope for people? We have to be a witness of his mercy. That means we have to have received his mercy. And we have to go out and testify of it. So let's turn to Mark 5.18. Mercy, mercy. <laughs> Okay, so he just he just healed this demon-possessed man, right? This is the guy who he cast out the legion of demons. They went into the pigs. They all went down into the water and drowned themselves. Okay, so verse 18, it says... As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Okay, if I had been set free, didn't you always feel this way um, when you're, well, I know, like the moment I was born again. It's like, well, just take me now. 
I'm good. Let's just go. You get into the thick of worship and you feel his presence. It's like, done. Take me now. My kids will be okay, Lord. I know you'll provide. Just take me now. And so this guy, he's been tormented by a legion of demons. And Jesus is getting into the boat. It's like, where are you going? Wait a minute. Where are you going? Can I go with you? I, I need to go with you. I need to be with you. And then Jesus tells him, he says, verse 19, he says, Jesus did not let him, and, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Yeah, he doesn't take us the moment we're born again. If it was done then, then nobody else would know of his mercy. There'd be nobody to testify of it. He saved us. He did this work in us. Why? To go and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Why? Because we're bragging? Because I'm good and you're down there and you're not where I'm supposed to be. Now, if we're supposed to be this light shining in darkness, we're supposed to be illuminating the path for those still sitting in darkness, it doesn't say that we need to illuminate the end goal for them and say, you're over there and this is where you should be. No, we're illuminating their path. We're illuminating the first step. Okay, here, we have to meet them in that need. And we have to say, here, the Lord did deliver me. And I'm good now. And let me show you how he did it step by step. We have to do it with great patience and endurance. Okay, this is the first step. And it's okay. You're making progress. You're doing good. You're not, you're not where you need to be, but we're, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to walk hand in hand with you, and I'm going to get you there. Amen. I mean, isn't that why y'all are here? Hasn't somebody taken you by the hand and said, I'm going to meet you where you are, Amen. and I'm going to walk Amen. with you, Amen. and I'm going to help you, I'm going to show you how to do this, yeah. because the Lord did it for me? Amen. We, we can't be so detached from that past we're, we're only shining our light on the end goal, which is really just us, right? Well, shh, I'm good with that. I don't know why you still have a problem with it. <laughs> you need to be right here. Mm. I mean, that's, it's such arrogance, and I'm so guilty of it. I am the most impatient person, I promise you. Lord, having four kids has tempered me a great deal, but <laughs> there's still so much of that impatience in me. And really what impatience is, is pride. Mm. It's pride. It's that... I've got to stop what I'm doing so that I can pay attention to what you're doing. And it's arrogant. And it stinks. And it's disgusting to the Lord. It's so self-serving to be that way. Lord, forgive me. Okay, so he tells this man, he heals them from these demons, and he tells them, go and tell. Show them what the Lord's mercy has done for you. Let's go to Romans 9. I know, I'll make y'all flip a lot. Okay, uh, 9.18 says, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Well, that's a big dose of reality right there. So if you've received mercy, you certainly didn't earn it. Amen. I mean, it says right there, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. So what if he just didn't want to have mercy on you? And he just wanted to leave you in the state you were in? I mean, did you earn this? Were you someone special that the Lord called you out in the crowd? No, he saw the potential in you. And he, desired, he, he, just, he determined that it was worth it. That you were worth it. There was potential in you, and you weren't there yet, but you were worth the effort. You were worth the investment. Because he expects a return. 
Let's turn to Romans 12. Ah, no. Galatians 6, sorry. Okay, so we've received God's mercy, right? He wants to display His power in us through His mercy. So Galatians 6, he's talking about restoring someone who sins. So this is, this is who we are. Um, this is why the Lord has invested in us. This is the return he's expecting, right? Not just to, this was a, a church issue that was happening. Mm, um, and they're talking about, about sin. But this is talking about anyone you're ministering to. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Okay, this is that, that beam or that illuminating the path, the difference here, okay? Don't be so arrogant that, that you stand so high that you fall into the same sin they're in. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. By what? Comparing yourself to the person you're ministering to? <laughs> Because we do that, right? You think, wow, glad I didn't do that. Glad I'm not in that position. Okay? That's not what we're comparing ourselves. We test, we're supposed to test our own actions by what? By the Word of God. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. So we can take pride in ourselves. Yeah, because it's the work of God. That's not, that, this is not us doing this. When we compare ourselves against the word of God, we're seeing how we measure up. But in, in and of ourselves, we can't do this. We know it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Okay, so now turn to Romans 12. There. There. Okay, 12.3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Okay, so we're not going to stand in condemnation, but we are going to be sober-minded about who we are and where we came from. We have not achieved so much that we cannot have mercy and compassion on our brothers and sisters. Let's flip over to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 4.2. So this is the charge he gives Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is the step-by-step leading of someone out of their sin, out of the trouble that they've gotten themselves into. Because you are no better than them. We're all miserable wretches without Jesus. All of us. We, we have to have that patient hand with them, that merciful heart, because God's <clears throat> mercy has been so richly poured out upon us. When you remember where you came from, it gives you a, a sense of, uh, it pushes you down, it humbles you, right? I mean, you realize, you really literally feel the mercy that's been poured out on you, and you want to share it, because you recognize it can be done for anyone if it was done for you. Mercy always triumphs over judgment, right? So why do we need to remember where we came from? Why? why right? Should we just forget it? 
No, it's our testimony. That's the simple answer. Where we came from is our testimony. It gives glory to God. It keeps us humble. It allows us to feel compassion, to distribute mercy to all of those out, out there. We're the, we need to live the example of the hope we hold out. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 3. This is, this is the, the hinge. So where is that balance between being humble and being imprisoned by our past? Okay, we want to be humbled by our past. We don't want to be imprisoned by it. Our past has been paid for, so we don't need to dwell on the shame and guilt that once existed <laughs> that propelled us into repentance. The blood of Jesus has been applied. The debt has been paid. Now, we remember where we came from because it is the testimony. We recognize that we are just jars of clay. Right? We're just jars of clay that God's um, glory and power is being shown through. And all the cracks and imperfections just allow more of his glory to shine through. So I, I praise God for him. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. I'm going to start at 4. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And that letter is that condemnation, that, that, um, that nitpicky, judgmental attitude, that arrogance that we take on, you know, when we separate that self-righteousness that comes over us. That's not of God. The spirit gives life. He has made us competent. We're not competent in and of ourselves. He's made us competent. And he made us ministers of a new covenant. So let's skip over to four. Turn, turn one page, four one. Here's the, the jars of clay. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, right? you didn't go to college and earn a degree and, and get certified to participate in this ministry. This is from God's mercy. We don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience, conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Okay, let's skip down to, uh, okay, five. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let sh light shine out of darkness, right, we're the stars, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Amen. It's an awesome thing that there are cracks and there are blemishes and there are imperfections in us. Because it just demonstrates God's glory. We're not perfect. Why does he not take us the moment we're born again? How would his glory be displayed? How would people be able to tangibly see the mercy that's been shown? Because we, we do have our testimony, and that's a powerful message. But when it comes from a vessel who still is not perfect, that's an even more powerful message. Okay, go to five, skip over to 516. So from now on, so what do we do with this? This is, this is the why. 
of why we don't stay in prison by our past and we don't look down upon people. So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't use the world's standards to judge anyone. We don't regard them from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So this is what we're to go forth with. This is why, this is how our past can be helpful to us. Okay, because it keeps us humble. It gives us the message of reconciliation. Look what the Lord has done in me. When you think, when you, all of y'all that are going to Mexico, I know the intimidation I felt. Like, who am I to pray for anybody to minister? All I know is what God's done for me. And God has done something for you. And that's the power that you carry with you when you're ministering to people in Mexico, when you're ministering to someone in the grocery store or at work or the people that you live with. This is, this is what you're demonstrating. This, I don't know about all those things. I don't know about how to baptize somebody in the Holy Ghost. You, you know, you, Whatever it is that you struggle with when, you, when you're talking to someone, when you're ministering to someone, don't let that stop you from the ministry that he's commended to you. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation, and that's based on your testimony. It's based on where you came from and how the blood was applied and how the guilt is gone and how you're walking in your life. And there's still things to be worked out, but God's using you, right? He's using you right now. And that's the hope that we hold out. That's how we can shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. They need us. I'm disgusted by the filth I see. When we turn on the TV, it's like, it's not even, I, we just, yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. These things that everybody is just so accepting of now, it's just getting worse and worse, and they need us. We need to be able to shine like stars. We don't need to be clouded over by feelings of insecurity or feelings of arrogance. We have to be able to minister this reconciliation effectively so we can change lives. Amen. 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 Stand our feet and pray. Uh, please stay afterwards if you're going to Mexico. Uh, John, can you put James 2.13 on the screen? Since worldly sorrow brings death, and that's always what the, what the devil is after. He wants to kill your calling. He wants to destroy you. He wants to steal from you. Anything in your life this says you should give up now. This is not working. You should run away from fellowship. You should isolate. You should... Any of those things. That's worldly sorrow. It's the devil. The voice of the Holy Spirit always says, you are better than this. You are capable of more. I can bring you to a higher place. There's more of my character to be had. The latter part of this scripture... His mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm -hmm. Boy, nothing has proven that more than our lives. We are that testimony. We deserve judgment, and God gave us mercy. I want to encourage you to give people what they need, not what they deserve. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because that's what our Lord does, and that makes us like Him. 
Wasn't that a good word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 